you will, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you'll just hold that for a second, we're going to get to it in a moment. I began this morning with confession that I really do not have to make. Somebody says, if you don't have to make it, don't make it, but I'm going to. Last Sunday, I preached a message that was... I think that one of the crux of what's going on in America today is about the cape, putting on the cape, putting on the garb, putting on Christ so that the whole world can see Christ. In that message, I put everything I had into it. When I left the pulpit, I'm normally physically drained because I put so much into the messages when I preach, but last week I found myself physically drained mentally drained, emotionally drained, and spiritually drained. Because, folks, you probably don't even remember it. I hope you would. But that cave consists of our commitment, being able to be counted on, our availability that God can count on us to be available, that we spend time in prayer and that we exercise our faith. To me, those are foundational things, and I really put a lot in it. In fact, I put so much in it. That as I got home that night and I, uh, that afternoon and I began to pray about this morning, I began to read some scripture, wait for that divine tap to say, you got it. <laughs> I got nothing. Monday came. We had a busy Monday. We had people in the hospital, people having surgeries, and we were all over the place doing things. But every free moment I got, I would have my Bible in my hand and I was praying and I'm trying to find... What word that I thought God might have for us today, for today, and nothing. And in fact, I, here's what I knew. I knew that Tuesday I had a meeting down in Montgomery. So an associational meeting with Dr. Cosper invited me and several other pastors to come about how to get our, our association on, on point for ministering and reaching. So I didn't have anything... Monday night, and the week was getting short, if you understand what I'm telling you. And for the first time in my life that I remember, I was at the end of Monday and had no idea what today would hold for us. Then I get up Tuesday, and I go to this associational meeting. It's led by a consultant. This is our second meeting. We have a couple of more before the year's over. Led by a Christian consulting company. We were about an hour into that day-long meeting. And God tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, Do you understand? And I was born probably at night, but I wasn't born last night. And I said, Yeah, Lord, I understand. The very reason that I couldn't find a word from him is because I was looking in the wrong place. And, and, And Tuesday, God began to unveil this to me. This morning, if you'll look at the screen, I want to invite you. Go ahead, Brandon. I want to invite you to come to the upper room. I'm 61 years old, spent my life in a church, and I've never heard this invitation before. The truth is, is that Christianity is all about invitations. Jesus invites us to himself to be saved. He invites us for peace. He invites us for rest. We are invited to him. But the upper room is a place where we meet Christ. The upper room is a place where we commune with Christ. The upper room is a place where we think like Christ, where we're motivated like Christ. 
Sadly, are you listening? Sadly, few people ever make it to upper room. Most people live their entire lives unknowingly in the lower room. We live like those things in the lower room. We stress over things, as we'll see in a second, over the lower room. It is lower room things that causes conflicts. As I got to thinking about this, the upper room is a really big deal. A big deal. I just want to give you a warning right now. This message may challenge each of us. It certainly did me. It may challenge us emotionally. It may challenge us intellectually. It may challenge us spiritually. You may even, when the message is over, you may choose to resist the truth that's found here in the upper room. But I submit to you that if you will understand it and embrace it, it can be life-changing. How many of you like a life-changing event? It can be life-changing. It can be... It can be um, Landscape altering. As the guy talked about the upper room, as it began to impact on my heart, I always have to have a biblical perspective of things for it to really sink in. Can I get an amen? I mean, if it's got a biblical basis, if it's got a biblical basis, then it's got to be something we need to embrace and take care of. I've told, ask you to turn to John 17. The upper room's a big deal to John. John penned his gospel, and today his gospel is in 21 chapters. Did you realize that of 21 chapters, that five chapters are dedicated to the upper room? Over 150 what we call verses are dedicated to the upper room. To me, that's significant. That bears meaning. And when we come into the upper room, we find, it's chapters 13 through 17, go ahead, Brandon. In the upper room, we find a number of things. Can I just offer these to you? If you go back to chapter 13, you'll find communion at the Last Supper and foot washing, confrontation, Judas and Peter. You'll discover correction that we should love one another. You'll find comfort. Let not your heart be troubled. You will find coaching. I am the vine. You're the branches. He that abides in me. You'll find caution. The world hated me, so they're going to hate you. And then you'll find conquest because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. You can find everything in the upper room. 13 through 16, those seven items just jump out at the page, and we need them. And perhaps it'll be a series at another time. But after you get to chapter 16, we begin to really see the heart of Jesus. We're going to read the entire chapter. But I'm not going to ask you to stand because I don't want us to miss the nuance of these verses. After he's told them all these things, if you look, if you look in verse 1, it says, And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Now, I'm just going to give you the watch translation. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he prayed. We call our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the Lord's Prayer. It's really not the Lord's Prayer, it's the model of prayer. I want us to take the next few minutes 
And I'm going to read this chapter. Actually, I want to pray this chapter. And perhaps the way that Jesus prayed it that night in the upper room. I want us to hear his heartbeat. Hear his passion. Make it a prayer today. When Jesus said these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know that the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in this world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destructions that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, just that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, and, and they, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these Know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. Dear Jesus. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your words. Help us today to see you, to live with you, to walk with you, to reside with you, to be motivated by you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm always taken by the emotion, the concern, the passion, the focus of Jesus. That should move each of us to desire to be in the upper room with Jesus. It's there we find fulfillment. It's there we find assurance. It's there we find Security. It's there we find life and help and hope. And I just want to say to us today as a church, are you listening? When a, a Christ follower and when a church comes into upper room thinking, it is not about, it is not about the trite things of life. It's about Thinking like Jesus thinks. Feel like Jesus feels. Motivated like Jesus is motivated. When we get to that upper room thinking, I believe that God will choose to bless us in ways that we cannot explain or imagine. After all, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to be the, the, the group that the world cannot believe? How are they doing that? So this morning time that remains, I want to contrast 
the lower room and the upper room. We're going to draw a little diagram up here. Lower room, and we'll get to the upper room. Candidly, most of us, now I'm going to pause there so nobody thinks Brother Jerry's being condescending. I didn't say most of you. I said most of us. Live, think, reside, and, and are very comfortable in the lower room. We don't do it to be bad people. We do it generally because either we don't know any better, never been taught any better, certainly I hasn't, I haven't, but because our natural tendency is to live and think in the lower room. When we think about the lower room from the standpoint of the church, think about this. Jesus loves the church. Jesus came from heaven to earth to establish the church. And on earth, he died for the church. On earth, he started the church. On earth, he gave the church specific instructions which to follow. And those instructions are found at at least five places in the New Testament. It is go, it is baptize, it is make disciples, it is teach. And the caveat for us as his church is that he said to us, he said, all authority and power have been given to me. And guess what, guys? I want to give you the authority. I want to give you the power because this world needs changing. He's passed it all. He's become the conduit of God's power. He's become the conduit of God's authority to us. His purpose for us. It's upper room stuff, not lower room. Let me just pause the question. Let's pause again. Have you ever heard of a church splitting over what the mission of the church is? Have you ever heard of the church of splitting or arguing over what Christ wants for the church? I submit to you that 99.99% of the time, that's not the issue. The issue which destroys churches today is why the church membership is down nationally. It is why churches are on the decline nationally. It's why nobody's coming to, to know Christ in a new way and a fresh way. It's because we are living in the lower room. Now, what are some of the attributes of how we think and do and work and live in the lower room? I'll offer you four. The first one is a place. We tend to think of church in the, in the standpoint of a place. I mean, you think about that. You go into this town, and when you ask somebody, Rod, uh, about Hueytown Baptist Church, if they know where we anything at all, which most of the time they go, where are y'all? You think of an address, 3000 Dwayne Avenue. Think of a building. And inside the church, we think of a place because we think of a building. Uh, the number of people that get emotionally attached to their building is staggering. I mean, you think about it. This place, 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago, the, the founding members of this church built this building. Now, he's not here today to defend himself, so he's on his own. You can take it up with him. And Thursday at lunch, I looked at Troy and I said, Troy. How did y'all decide where to place the campus of Hueytown Baptist Church? And you know what he said? We have some uh, members here who were part of those founding members. He said, 
It was the only land we could find. And you go, Brother Jerry, don't you like our place? That's not the issue. When we think about a church in terms of a place, we get attached to the wrong things. What would happen if, God forbid, a fire or a tornado or an explosion rendered this property uninhabitable and unusable? How would you, would you be okay? Some of us know. <laughs> Tuesday in the meeting, the leader, you know what Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, says where there's no vision, King James Version, the people perish. And he was talking about place and he said, generally where there is no vision, the people cherish. They cherish all the wrong things, the place. We get fixed on our parking spot and our pew and color of the carpet. Those are the things that split churches, not the, the upper room things. The place. The second thing you'll see is personalities. Have you ever seen a church held together by the force of a personality, whether it was the pastors or somebody else? I mean, the, those, are the peop- those are the people who you think we just can't do without. In fact, not long ago I was with a friend. He's at a church. He's a, a member of a church in another state. And he's talking about one of his staff members. He said, I don't think we could survive without, and he named the staff person. And yet, that's really, that is really one of the things that happens when you go to multiple services. What's the complaint? Well, I don't get to see my friends anymore. Well, really, is that, I understand we want to see our, our the friends and have the connection, but is that really what worship is about? It's lower room thinking. The third thing that we'll see up here, programs. <laughs> the week that I proposed to Miss Deborah, I proposed to her on a Sunday night, got up on a Monday morning, got on a plane, went to Ridgecrest, and Jack Taylor was speaking. And I heard Jack Taylor say these words, If God could bless anybody in the world because of programs, He would bless Southern Baptist. Because we got a program for everything. And we like our programs and we hang on to our programs and, and we never kill a program. I mean, we like sunrises, but we hate sunsets. We like that sunrise or that new program kicking off. And we love it, but we don't like the sunset. What happens when that program doesn't meet its purpose anymore? What happens when it becomes ineffective? You know what we do as Baptists? We hang on to that dying Horse, until it's decayed and caused disease. Michael, I don't know about this because I've never been involved in community, but I was told in this meeting that many times in a community, when they, in community projects, that when they start a new program of some kind, that there is an effective start date and there's an effective end date because they know this program is not going to last forever. You see, one of the hardest things for a church to do is have a glorious shutdown of something that has served us well for over many years. Did you realize in nature that a sunset can be just about as beautiful as a sunrise? As far as I'm concerned, I prefer to see the sunset over the sunrise. If God wanted me to see the sunrise, He'd have scheduled it later in the day. <laughs> Do you understand? We get lower room thinking. We get, and we'll get, we'll get irate over our programs. 
Why did y'all kill that program? Well, for the last year, there's only been three people. But those three people, well, why don't we refit and grow it again? I mean, lower room thinking. The last one is the word people. And some, some are going to go, wait a minute, Brother Jerry. Isn't people what we're supposed to be about? Well, yes. Yes. God's grace extends to people who are outside of his love, outside of his salvation, outside of his spirit. But here's the caveat. No person, no person is irreplaceable. That would have been a good place for an amen. No person is irreplaceable. You see, the truth is we get focused on pleasing the wrong people, trying to, trying to gravitate to the wrong people. And when we raise a person that high in our eyesight, there is no way to see around that person and see the Father. Lower room thinking. I got to thinking about the lower room in some very practical ways. You know what? You know what the lower room is for. Most of, many of us, practically, we go to the lower room in our house when a tornado is coming. We get there for defense. We get there for survival. We trust the structure to protect us. It's a place we go when our only outlook is we just want to survive. But that's not the place. Please listen. That's not the place for God's church. That's not the place for God's people. That's not where, that's not where we, we need to reside. And yet we do many times. These are the things that are important to us. But I want to submit to you today that, that today we need to make a journey and Brandon's going to hit that. We're going to have a little ladder to create over here. We need to make a journey up to the upper room. You know why we need to go to the upper room? Because it is in the upper room where we find Jesus and the cross. When we get to the upper room, things have a way of changing. Upper room. Now, also one more time, Brandon, because the upper room is a place of vision and the lower room is a place of provision. The upper room is where we see some things and the and the lower room is a place that are just the nuts and bolts sometimes of how we do things. I remind you of what I began with. We will not run through it. In the upper room, we find communion with Jesus. He shared the Lord's Supper. He washed their feet. They, John leaned on his breast. It's close communion in the upper room. Are you listening? He confronts people. He told Peter... When Peter said, I'll never deny you, the rest of them might, but I won't. He said, oh, Peter, you don't have it right. Here's the truth. You're going to deny me three times before morning. It was in the upper room that he pointed out Judas, and he said, Judas, go do what you need to do. Find confrontation there. But then you find where he corrects us, and he tells us, guys, don't do like the world does, but love one another. In fact, it is in this way that you love one another as I've loved you. It is in this way that the world will know that you really belong to me. And then he comforts us and he said, guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't worry about the things here. Don't fret death because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said, then he coaches us to tell us, hey, if you come to me in the upper room, if you connect your life to me, Here's what you need to know. I'm the vine. You're the branches. 
If you stay connected to me, you're going to have life-sustaining blood. You're going to have life force flowing through you. You're going to have that authority and that power that I give to you. And it is in the upper room he does offer us a caution. And he says, you know what? You have all this stuff from me. And you have life that you can't imagine beyond the grave. But watch. This world hates me, so why do you think they're going to like you? You see, if we live in the upper room, chances are that the lost world is not going to think a lot of us. And in America... And in America, we read that to be out of God's will when somebody don't like us. Hmm. And then also in the upper room, find conquest. He said, man, I've overcome the world, so you can become an overcomer like me. Vision in the upper room. So let me just quickly, we don't have time to really develop this, so I just simply want to give these to us and inspire us and, and then bring it to a close. When we get to the upper room and we're spending time with Jesus, all of a sudden our focus is not on place and personality and programs and people, all these things. All of a sudden, go ahead, Brandon, our focus is on mission. What are we supposed to be doing? What should we do? How long has it been? You don't, have to, you don't have to tell me. How long has it been since you said in your prayer time, you said, God... What is it you expect us to achieve at the church? What is it that you expect us to do at the church? What is it that, that you want us to be about? What is it? Here's a big question. Dear God, what is it that will get us a well done when we stand before you? You see, our mission is, is, is beyond us. It is the answer to this question that motivates us. I was sitting around Wednesday after this conference, and my world kind of rocked. I was sitting around Wednesday and, and studying and preparing, and I'm thinking, Lord, what is it? We've already started this journey. I've already put it in front of the staff, and I put it in front of the deacons. Here's the deal. What is it that we can do as a church to get outside of our walls and get a friendly hearing of the gospel because they know that we are? Concern for them. What is it that we can do to go out there and meet a need? I, I just need to tell you, I, I understand that I'm from a throwback generation. That's fine. I'm not sure that giving away money and giving away this and giving away that, I'm not sure that's, that's really the real secret. I think it has to be more that we're giving of ourselves to touch somebody. That we're making an effort for, to know people that they can come to know the Jesus that we say we serve. You see, in the upper room, when you're looking at mission, you're looking at what it is we're doing. You're looking at the big picture. You're looking at what God calls us to do and how we can change our culture. Well, Brother Jerry, that's good for you and the deacons and the staff and all that. Well, I just say this to you. It's good for every one of us. When the mission... And it's not just survival. It's not to outdo another church. It's not to show everybody how good we are. When your mission is to please the Father and to fulfill the Scripture that Jesus gave to us, life becomes different. When that becomes our first thought, how does this fit into what Christ has called us to do? 
And you go, well, Brother Jerry, we're doing okay. Okay. I heard a preacher say this. Your system in your church, your system in your church is perfectly designed. Aren't you glad to know that? It's perfectly designed to receive and achieve the results you're presently getting. You see, when your focus is off, your target is off. Is it fair to say that Jesus has given us instructions as a church? Matthew 28. Authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and I give it to you, so go therefore and make disciples. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke what, 24, John 20, Acts 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You see, he's given us a mission, and our mission is to reach people. Is it fair to say this morning, would you say amen just to make, when I ask you this question, if you believe it, just so that I know that you're awake? Is it fair to say that not everybody in Town is in church today? Is it fair to say that of those folks who are not in church today, many of them don't know the Lord? Okay. Is it fair to say if that's true, then we have just identified our mission field? You see, our mission. It's not about who gets the credit. It's not about who gets the glory, except we give him the credit. We give him the glory for anything we do. But our mission is to reach people. That's what we do. The second thing there, and I'll not take a long time with with the other three, just want to mention them to you, values. What is it that we value? Why is it that we do what we do? The mission answers the question, what we do. The values answer the question, why do we do it? Can I just tell you this? You just said amen to why we do it. It's because that people outside of Christ will never make it to heaven. They will make it to a place that they really don't want to go, a place that's called hell. And the responsibility is on our shoulders to give them the gospel in a way that they'll receive it. In a way that they'll receive it. Generally, lost people... Don't amble in to a worship service. Did y'all hear that? In fact, it'll take probably five or six invitations before they'll ever attend worship. It'll take five or six invitations from somebody that they see Jesus in. Are people seeing Jesus in you as you encounter them every day? The very value is that People outside of Christ. You know, do you, do you really believe that? People outside of Christ. You have family members who are outside of Christ. Do you believe that people outside of Christ are not going to make it to heaven? Do you believe that people outside of Christ are going to spend an eternity in the hell? If you don't believe that, then you have no motivation. If you do believe that, it's kind of may have slipped in the back part of our mind. But that's the value that drives us. That's, that is the why we do what we do. And then the third one that we find in the upper room is strategy. That's how we do it. Had a long conversation with a friend yesterday. And uh, I thought he was wrong on a lot of points that he was making about the church today. But he was uh, right on when he, when he said the problem with churches in southern 
particularly the southeastern of America, is that they don't want to change. They want to do it like they did it years ago and expect everybody to come. Here's our value. As you sent me into the world, Jesus said, to the Father, so I sent them into the world. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, just those in the room, but also for those, watch this, who will believe in me through their words. That's our value. That's what we're to do. Strategy. I think Paul tells us, if you want to write it down, it's not going to be on the screen. First Corinthians 9, verses 19 and following. He says, I become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. When we as a church, please listen. When we as a church, when we as individuals are serious about fulfilling God's mission because of the values that we have that everybody needs Christ, all of a sudden we will spare no expense, neither time, money, energy, or talent to let people know about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's our strategy. The last I'm going to put up there just because Baptists don't think about this. It's the word measures. And we don't do this as Baptists. We put, a, we put something together, a process, a program, a plan, or whatever, is that we do not put a, a key like we would put in schoolwork to say this is how we measure effectiveness. We, well, one person got saved, and that's good. Every life counts. But what happens if we do our homework and we make it more effective and instead of one person being saved, 12 or 15 get saved? It's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to be. It's upper room thinking. I think that last one, just a personal observation, is that Baptist churches are so reluctant to figure out how to evaluate something is one of the reasons that so many deacons, we've talked about it, you've asked me many times, why is it that non-denominational churches seem to be reaching people and Baptist churches seem to be dying? It could be this right here. We'll just let that stay right there, Brandon. Everything that we've mentioned is found in the upper room. If you look at that and are honest, many people live their entire lives just with lower room thinking. Personally, I want to climb the ladder for Jerry Watts as an individual, for Jerry Watts as a pastor. I want to climb the ladder and get out of the upper room and quit making life about everything down there. I want to get there with Jesus. I began by saying this is an invitation. It's pretty interesting when you look at the upper room is that everybody who was in the upper room was personally invited. The only people who remained in the upper room were people who sold out. One guy came into the upper room, didn't like what he saw, And he left, and he betrayed Jesus. Everybody don't get entree into the upper room. 
And certainly everybody don't remain in the upper room. Only those who trust Christ. But this is the beginning point. They trust and they follow and they believe in Christ. They ask Christ to forgive them of their sin. They turn from their sin and they turn to Him. And they fellowship with Him. They commune with Him. They listen to Him. And we follow Him. Hmm. When we get to the upper room, it's a place where we're close to Jesus. And when we get close to Jesus, as you well know, our minds are impacted, our schedules are impacted, our resources are impacted. And things we used to think about down in the lower room, that place and the personality and the program and the people, now become second nature because they're replaced by God's mission, by God's will. Because all of a sudden in the upper room it clicks. God really did send Jesus into this world to call the unrighteousness, unrighteous people to righteousness, the unsaved people to salvation. And God is wanting to use me to do it. And then, as I read in verse 20, that becomes a motivating factor when he says, I want to just pray for these who are in the room. I pray for those who will believe in me through their words. All of a sudden, we're seeing God's mission. We're seeing the end result of people being saved. And here's what I'll tell you. Stephen Covey said it a long time ago. He said, if you want to be successful, begin with the end in mind. If we begin with the end in mind, we begin by knowing that God has called us. Christ has commissioned us as a church to reach lost people, to disciple saved people. And we're not doing it. We're failing God. In the upper room, when we employ upper room thinking, we discover that we're a part of a work that is bigger than we ever thought possible. Oh, preacher, we can't do that. No, we can't, but God can. We serve a God that is omniscient, omnipotent. He's omnipresent. I deeply wish, I deeply wish that God would give me the words. that I could effectively communicate to everybody in this room that sitting where you're sitting does not constitute fulfilling the ultimate will and purpose of God. Yes, we should gather. Yes, we should worship. Yes, we should study. Yes, we should corporately pray. Yes, we should be faithful. Yes, we should don the cape of the believer with our commitment and our availability and our prayer and exercise in our faith. But that is not the ultimate work for which Christ saved us and for which we are called to. And if we don't see it, we can never be it. And the it is... The mission God has called us to. The mission God has given us. And when we don't see it and we won't be it, we fail God. This week, 
June 7 through 11 is the week that we should, we could and should be on mission for God. Possibly like no other week in the year. This week we're going to have boys and girls. That's what all this is about today. I guess you figured it out. Talking about going to Mount Everest, going to a higher level than we've ever been, doing what we've never done. This week we have the ability to express God's love to boys and girls that we might not ever see if we really don't touch them with His love. We have, we have the ability to change lives, to change a generation. We are on mission. We share, when we share the story of our life, how we met Jesus with one of those who are outside of God's grace, we are on mission. And in the upper room, when we as a Sunday school class determine, you know what? We have been the same size or shrinking for years. Wonder who it is that we can touch and reach. We are on missions. When the music ministry says, who is it that we can touch and reach? When the student ministry says, who is it that we can touch and reach? When you as an individual says, who can we touch and reach? We are in the upper room when we as a church say, who is it that we can touch and reach? I have become keenly aware of late that I have a lot more years behind me than I have ahead of me. It is my personal desire to not stand before God and have to make an excuse, but to hear Him say, well done. I'm trying my I'm going to do my best under his leadership to become an upper room follower. I invite you to come along. Let's pray together.